have a Bible, open up to Jonah chapter four. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through Jonah, uh, one chapter a week. Uh, and I've realized this, Jonah chapter four shouldn't exist. Right? Like, like I wish Jonah chapter four wasn't there. And the reason is this, in chapter one, God calls Jonah a prophet of his, a prophet in Israel. That's someone who, who declares God's word, who encourages his people, who exhorts his king. He declares to Jonah, go to Nineveh and declare this to those people that they would hear about their sin. And Jonah runs in the opposite direction, right? He hops a boat and heads thousand, tries to head thousands of miles away. And God causes a storm to come upon that boat and the ship is tossing to and fro in the waves and Jonah's, Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat and so the crew come and eventually they realize that it's his fault that the storm's there so they throw him into the ocean. And as he's sinking down into the depths of the ocean, the depths of his sorrow, Jonah repents. He realizes the folly of his ways. He realizes what he's done. And so God shows mercy on him and through the belly of a fish gives him rescue. And again, God says, go to Nineveh. And this time he goes. And last week we talked about that, right? He goes to Nineveh and he preaches the most outstanding five-word sermon you've ever heard. God's gonna destroy this place. And everybody repents, Right? Every, I mean, everyone from like the king down to children to the cows are fasting in repentance. I don't even know what it means for a cow to fast. That is a story of God's grace. That is a story of God's mercy, right? Jonah runs away, but God doesn't give up on him and he brings him back and he gives him the opportunity again. And, and Jonah goes and he does what he's supposed to do. And the people hear and they repent. So Jonah's seen God's mercy. Nineveh's seen God's mercy. The end, roll the credits. But that's not what happens. We have chapter four instead. And what chapter four is then is a warning. It's a warning to us as we see God's mercy continuing to work in the life of Jonah. And the warning is this. This is a big idea. If you uh, write down notes, you can write this down. Scandalous grace offends self-righteous pride. Scandalous grace offends self-righteous pride. So if you do have a Bible, open up to, to chapter four and we're gonna read the whole chapter together. Uh, follow along as I read. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Remember, he'd, he'd just seen Nineveh repent. Now he's witnessing that God hasn't brought destruction. He hasn't brought his judgment on this city. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "'Oh Lord, is not this what I said "'when I was yet in my country?' That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. That's like a tent. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But 
But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So Jonah sees that God is relenting of the destruction of Nineveh and he is furious, right? He's furious. And commentators aren't exactly sure why he's so mad. See, the reality is, is that it's a little bit hard to place when Jonah was written. And because of that timeline, there's a few things about when this might've happened in Jonah's life that give us an indication of why he's so upset. So a couple of options. One, Jonah is just kind of racist. Right? He sees this other ethnic group that God has called him to go and deliver to. And as they repent, he's recognizing they don't know how to worship the Lord. They don't know God. They don't know who he is. They don't know his mercy and his kindness. They don't know who he is. And so Jonah has this division between him and Israelite, one of God's people, those who were rescued out of Egypt and now after generations continue to be in God's kingdom. And the Ninevites, they don't know God. They don't deserve God's mercy. And on the flip side, if it's not that, then Jonah is much more aware of who the Ninevites are. He's much more aware of the things that they've done. In fact, they've even become an enemy to Israel. And so he may be a little afraid. He may be a little angry, but certainly he does not like them. And he knows that they don't deserve God's grace. And so he's furious. He is furious that they continue to repent and that God continues to relent from destroying them, right? He's so furious. He climbs up the mountain nearby so he can see the whole city and he just sits and waits in the heat of the day and in the heat of his anger because they don't deserve God's mercy. But the reality is that none of us do, right? None of us deserve God's mercy. None of us deserve God's grace. If you're new here, there's a saying that we use to define our community a lot. Uh, it's on stickers and tote bags and t-shirts now that you can get next week at the ministry fair. Like uh, it's this, it's we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. We are imperfect people who've been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. And what that means is as a community, we recognize that when we look into our pasts, right? If you look back five, 10, 60 years into your past, each and every single one of us can see our regrets, our failures, the things that we wish we hadn't done, right? The, the time in greed when you wrote on your resume and lied just a little bit so you could get a better starting salary. Or the time in lust when you just tried to convince yourself it's just one more video as you scroll through in the middle of the night before you go to bed or even all of those good things that you, you were sure that you should do to help this person or, or serve that person or, or just to be uh, honoring to God and, and they just never did them because of laziness or busyness or you just got distracted, right? All of those things, we call those things sin, right? It, the reality is that there's something in us that we're just, we're not perfect. We recognize that. We recognize our own imperfection in our past. And yet at the same time, we also realize that Jesus saw those things. And he knows those things about us. And despite our own imperfections, Jesus loves us. And he came to, to pay the price for us, to give us rescue, to save us. Colossians 1 puts, puts it this way. Uh, it should be on the screen. Uh, in verse 21, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what we say is that we are imperfect people, but we have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus because Jesus saw us in our despair, in our sin, in our pain and suffering in this world and out of love came into this world to be with us, to walk among us, to teach us, to die for us, and to raise again for us on the cross and in resurrection to give us hope and peace and reconciliation with God because the reality is that that imperfection between us and God who is righteous and perfect and holy only leaves us guilty and judged. But God is gracious and merciful. And so through Jesus gives us that grace and mercy. And so we're imperfect people who have been moved by that expression of love. But the reality is it's not just the things in our past. It's the things in our present, right? We, we acknowledge that as, as people in this community that we are still imperfect, despite wanting to live like Jesus, right? That's part of our mission. We want our lives to reflect who Jesus is, to reflect what he has done, to reflect the teachings that he gives us in the scriptures. We want our lives to look like him. They don't always do that. Right? I, my life doesn't always do that. And so maybe you're like me. You're getting ready for bed, you brush your teeth, you floss twice, just like you tell your dentist, and some of you do. Um, right? you, you, you get your head right on that pillow and it feels so cool, and then poof, all of a sudden that rush of every sarcastic joke and an ungracious criticism comes in that you wish you didn't say or that you wish you could take back, that you wish you could at least say differently. rushes through your head. Or maybe it's, it's getting frustrated with your kids, even this morning on your way here, again, losing your temper, again, screaming at them, again, wishing you weren't like your mom or your dad or your grandma. Maybe it's something different for you. Right? Maybe, maybe it's getting that late night text to come over and telling yourself, this is gonna be the last time, even though the last time was the last time. Maybe some of you are, are still here just head pounding from your first college party, telling yourself you're never gonna do that again. Look, I have a one-year-old son. He doesn't know very many words, but when I ask him to do something, he can look me dead in the eye and say, no. We're imperfect people, right? We, we are a people in process. We call that sanctification. What that means is that God is making us holy. He's making us more like Jesus. And that's a process that can be frustrating and infuriating and disappointing and, and, and difficult for us. But it's not a process that God abandons us in. God sees us where we are and he knows us where we are and he loves us where we are. That's what he's doing with Jonah in chapter four. He sees Jonah's self-righteousness. He sees his pride. He sees his heart. And Jonah knows God is merciful and loving. Isn't that the most astounding thing in this chapter? He's furious, he's angry, he's, he's angry at God. He's angry for being gracious. Right? That is the most astounding thing to me is that when I, when I read this passage, he hates how boundless God's grace is. He knew this is what was gonna happen. See, the reality is this about self-righteous pride. We've talked a lot about, uh, about God's mercy and grace for the sinner, but but the temptation, the warning in chapter four is for those of us who, who are tempted to this self-righteous pride. What that looks like is that it starts 
in knowing God's grace. It starts with experiencing God's mercy. And then it gets distorted. Right? It gets distorted because as we, as we walk this path, right, as we grow in our faith, we start to recognize the ways that we have changed. Right? Our pasts look way different than our present. You know, and, and we start to feel a little bit better about ourselves. We start to feel a little bit more confident in ourselves. And those aren't bad things yet, but, but that continues to get distorted. And as we do that, we start to put more and more pressure on the things that we can do, more and more pressure on the things that we're not doing anymore, more and more self-satisfying judgment. You know, I'm doing pretty good. I, I pray every day. I, I read my Bible every day. I'm doing these things. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Like, I, I just did this thing for God, and then he is so amazing that that thing happened for that person. Right? I, I feel pretty confident about myself. And then we're not perfect, so we, we realize, like, yeah, but I also I have this problem. I lost my temper again. I did that thing. I, I really can't stop doing this thing. Like, I, I still need God's grace, but we don't want it anymore. And that's the, that's the switch. We stop recognizing that God is merciful and God is gracious. We, we've already been saved. We've already experienced his grace and now it's up to me. And what happens is we spiral and we start to recognize that, that oh man, like I just, I feel this sense of guilt and we carry that weight more and more and that guilt turns into shame and that shame turns into bitterness and, and, and it continues to eat us alive. And it continues to fester and form. And it started so well with God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace. And now it's just bitterness and anger and hatred. Let's be honest, if you grew up in church, maybe you know some people like this. People that know the Bible front to back and have, have all of the right answers and all of the right verses and yet have hard hearts and harsh words for everybody, including themselves. They don't seem to know the goodness or the hope or the mercy that God has that they walk around bitter, angry, judgmental, ungracious. It's a warning to us. This is what Jonah is experiencing. Whether it's, whether it's because he knows intimately and personally who Nineveh is or not, he is experiencing this sense that he is part of God's people. He's a chosen race. He is in God's kingdom. He is a prophet of God. He feels like, you know what, I know I know the way that this is supposed to go, God. I know that this is not how it's supposed to be. I know that Nineveh should be destroyed. And Jonah won't give up. He is confident that he knows exactly what Nineveh deserves. He is confident that he knows exactly how God should judge them. And so what he does is when he climbs up on that hill, he decides to sit and wait and just observe because maybe God will come to his senses. Maybe God will finally see that Nineveh deserves destruction. And so he sits in the sun and he waits. But God doesn't give up on him either. And so he grows this plant next to him, right? The kind of like growth that you only see like in the plant stand of Arizona Instagram. Like if you know, you know, um, right? It's just immediate. And he finds this relief in this shade and he's content and he's satisfied. And now he's just waiting and seeing. I think he's still angry. He's just not as hot. And then the next morning, it's gone. And God, God sends this worm to destroy the plant. And, and now Jonah is more angry than ever. 
right? This, this wind kicks up and the sun's beating down on him and he becomes faint, which if you've been here all summer, you know that feeling. He, he's, he just continues to feel just, he's on his last leg and he cries out to God, just take me. Just take me. It'd be better for me to be dead. What is he thinking? See, Jonah is, is in this moment realizing that life just isn't what he wants. He's realizing that, that God has been merciful to Nineveh. And he's realizing that in the midst of his relief and now pain again in the sun, he has no control. See, if God's too merciful, he's also too sovereign. It's God that's in control. That's what God is trying to show Jonah, right? He's, he's trying to show Jonah, look, this is my creation. This is what I've done, right? God, God goes to him and he says, is it right for you to be so frustrated, to be so angry, to be so furious about this plant that you did nothing to do? You didn't plant the seeds. You didn't take care of it. You didn't grow it. You certainly didn't cause it to grow. And yet Jonah sits there in his bitterness and his rage. And he says, yeah, exactly. This is exactly how I should feel. This is exactly how justified I am. I should be in my anger, angry enough to die. Jonah is so furious with the destruction of the tree that he wishes to be dead. Look at the contrast with that. And the contrast with, with verses 10 to 11, uh, if you're in your Bible, scroll down to 10 to 11 with me. I'll read it again. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And this is the crux. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there were are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. See, Jonah is frustrated that the plant's dead, but he doesn't care about the city that he's sitting there waiting to be destroyed. He's mad that he's sitting in the sun, that he's dealing with the wind, but he doesn't care about the destruction that would come, the pain that would come upon the people of Nineveh in God's judgment. In fact, he's waiting for it to happen. He wants it. What God is trying to reveal to him is, is that God sees the Ninevites. He understands that they are violent, that they are vicious, that they are sinners. He, he doesn't ever describe them as anything else. He, he, he doesn't even address the fact that they're uh, in any way good. But he sees them. He sees them and, and their people. Their people. And God looks at the city of Nineveh and he sees 120,000 people. Right? And, and even just to push the, uh, the thorn a little bit more into Jonah's side, he says, and all this cattle. Right? If you're not going to worry about the people, but you're going to worry about the plant, would you at least remember the cows? They're people. See, self-righteous pride forgets that others 
are human. But God sees Jonah and he also sees him as human. And so he doesn't give up on him, right? This whole story is God not giving up on Jonah. It's trying to show him mercy. It's trying to reveal his grace. It's trying to remind him of his goodness, of God's goodness. So that he might in his heart remember that the others around him, the people in Israel, the people in Nineveh, the people in this world are people. See, the reality is that Jonah's forgotten that. He he doesn't care about the other people. All he knows is that, that he's a prophet of God. All he, all he cares about is, is what he thinks is righteous and good and just and whatever Nineveh is and whatever Nineveh gets, it's not. And God comes alongside of him and he says, they're people. Do you see them as people? As you sit here on the mountain waiting for the destruction, do you see that they're human? At the same time, God is reminding Jonah, you're human. I see you, and I know you, and I love you. Jonah, who was self-righteous and self-centered, thinking about only judgmental uh, criticisms for everyone else around him, running off to Tarshish and then repenting, experiencing God's grace, he's human. See, the reality is, is that we can continue to be just like Jonah, and the first target that we end up in is targeting ourselves. We do, we lay there at night remembering the things that we've done, the things that we're still struggling with, the sins and the, and the temptations and the things that we're supposed to do that we know would be good, that we know would be good for us or good for others and we're still not doing and we remember those things and all we do is start to judge ourselves, remember? But that just leads to bitterness. So chapter four, first and foremost, reminds us that we're people and that God sees us in our humanity and still loves us, right? That's the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son has two people involved in that. The prodigal son, the one that runs away and comes back and is welcomed as a son. But then the older brother also who who stands there bitter and angry and yet the father comes alongside him and says, do you not remember that I have always been with you? It's it's a story for both ends, the sinner and the self-righteous. It's a warning against that bitterness and angry, but it's also a a reminder of God's mercy and grace for us to know about ourselves that we are people. And in our imperfections, God still loves us. And in our sin, God still loves us. And in, in our lack of mercy and grace for others, God still loves us. And that's the second warning, isn't it? Because as we stop showing mercy and grace to ourselves, it's really quickly that we don't know how to extend that to others either. If the people not just the people that like upset us, right? The people that cut us off in traffic or, or the people that jumped in front of us at the grocery line. The people that have hurt us, right? Our Ninevites, the people that, that, have, that have sinned against us, the people that have caused us true pain and struggle. And the question that this book is asking is, who do you wanna withhold God's mercy from? Who do you want to be judged for what they've done? Maybe it's, maybe it's a coworker who, who's just always treated you poorly and, and just kind of interrupts you in the meetings and gets in your way in one way or another, takes credit for your work. Or worse, the manager that does that, supervisor, 
Maybe it's a parent who didn't treat you as much like a kid, but like a punching bag. Figuratively, physically, literally. It's a pastor. Who used God to try to manipulate you or force you into doing his own will. See, the reality is, is that as we recognize that we're imperfect people, part of that imperfection is also our pain. Part of that imperfection is also our struggle. And what Jonah 4 is trying to tell us is that that is not something that we should cling to. That the grace of God has come into our lives to empower us to also forgive as we have been forgiven to understand that in his mercy and his goodness, God has given us a way to not let that be the thing that defines us. Because the problem for Jonah and the problem for those bitter church people and the problem that could be for us is that when we cling to the things that have caused us pain and suffering, only we bear that weight. People that that did it to us, they may not care. And so when we hold on to that, when we hold on to that anger, we hold on to that self-righteous judgment, saying, God, why have you not done something about this? It's only us that suffer. Jesus gives us hope. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy that we can forgive and trust that he is in control, that he is sovereign, that he is the righteous judge. And in his plan, he will work that out. And he sees us and he knows us and he loves us because we're people made in his image. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your mercy and your goodness and your grace. God, you don't take sin lightly. In fact, you took it so unlikely, God, so weighty of a thing that you were willing to send your son, Jesus, to this world to conquer over all of it, God, to bear the weight of your wrath and judgment, to to bring hope and peace to our hearts and to our souls, God, to be with us, giving us mercy and grace because you love us, because we are people created in your image, God. God, we are so grateful for what you have done for us what you have done in us, what you're doing in our community now, God, we praise you for for the things that we get to celebrate because of your goodness and your grace. And God, we ask that you would continue to work in our hearts, showing us the path to forgiveness, showing us the path to righteousness, showing us the path to extend grace to others, Father, as we know your grace, because we are imperfect people who have been moved by the perfect love of Jesus. God, help us to go out and to love as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.